Listening to Conversations with a Musicologist with me, Alex Burns. Episode 2 Lost in Translation. Music is known as a universal language that brings people from all walks of life together. Be it through live or recorded mediums, the power of music is what makes it such a powerful phenomenon. In short, we like music because it makes us feel good. Music is often a short term answer to making ourselves feel better about things that happen in our lives. And I don't mean just classical either. All genres of music can provide happiness and much needed relief for people. But why does music make us feel so good? Well, studies show that multiple areas of our brains are activated by just listening to music. This includes those associated with movement, attention and memory. And triggering these areas of our brains releases dopamine and that alters our brain chemistry. The dopamine makes us feel good during and after listening to music and similarly to giving or receiving a hug. Music is ingrained in our culture as a powerful tool of communication that can bring together a room full of musicians in a rehearsal or a concert hall full of audience. Music can create those vital lines of communication between conductor and musician or even composer and musicologist. Although programme notes aim to bridge this gap between audiences and the music, most of the time the music speaks louder than the notes. As a musicologist, I find the history and stories behind music super interesting. However, nothing beats just sitting and listening to a big orchestral work live. Music as a language requires no previous experience, just your patience and listening ability. Stories about composition history, creative ideas and scoring decisions can offer a multi-dimensional insight into a work. However, this can become lost in translation when different languages get involved, works revised, or the composer simply just changes their mind. And this can pose some real challenges. Learning a new language requires hard work, dedication, and a flair for learning a whole new set of vocab, rules, and structures. Classical Alex Burns aims to bring everyone together through the power of accessible writing and the music itself, creating a unique classical music experience. And this is why I am really pleased to have taken up a project with a German specialist so we can work together on making sure classical music is not lost in translation. Introducing a new German-speaking musical greats collaboration with classical Alex Burns and German specialist Freya Riding. Join us as we celebrate all things German in a six-month collaboration as we take you on a journey through the ordinary to the extraordinary. Each month we will reveal a new composer of the month give you four exclusive new blogs, plus two authentic original German blogs by me. Keep up to date with the new Classical Alex Burns German Speaking Musical Greats project by visiting the website, following us on social media, or by listening on Spotify. The idea of this German project is to reach more people with the power of language and music. By using authentic German translations, these works can come to life for even more people. Freya chose to look at composer Paul Hindemith for October's Composer of the Month and see what gems lay in his archives. Born in November 1895 in Hanau, Paul Hindemith engaged with music at a very young age. Starting with playing the violin, Hindemith later attended Frankfurt's Conservatoire, where he studied violin performance with Adolf Rebner. Further to this, Hindemith also studied composition with Arnold Mendelssohn and Bernard Seckles. In 1917, Hindemith was sent to join the German army, 
where he played the bass drum in the regiment band. In May 1918, his diary entries showed he only survived grenade attacks by good luck while serving as a sentry in Flanders. After returning from the war, Hindemith founded the Amar Quartet where he played the viola. He began travelling quite extensively both on tour and through his other musical projects. From Germany to Egypt to Turkey and France, Hindemith ended up being a very well-travelled man. In 1946, Hindemith became a US citizen, although he returned to Europe in 1953, where he lived in Zurich. In the last few years of his life, Hindemith began to conduct more, namely his own compositions, which were then subsequently recorded. After a decline in his physical health, Hindemith died on the 28th of December 1963, aged 68. And I spoke to Freya at length about her German musical choices and why she thinks Hindemith is an important composer. So for this podcast, I am joined by the very same German specialist, Freya Riding, to talk all things German, including the music of Paul Hindemith, the German language and October's instalment of our German-speaking Musical Greats project. So thank you for joining me today, Freya. It's great to have you in. Let's kick things off with why Paul Hindemith. Out of all the German-speaking Musical Greats that you could have chosen in the whole world, why did you choose him for us to cover first? I chose Paul Hindemith because I believe that he's a very underrated composer. His works are incredibly complex and, in my opinion, fantastic. They were very widely performed during his lifetime, but are seldom performed today. And why do you think that? Because there's, there's not many programmes for orchestras you see around that actually programme his music. Do you think there's a reason for that? I think there could be multiple reasons. Potentially, it's due to the complexity of his music. They're too difficult for amateur performers, but they're largely ignored in favour of works of other composers of a similar era, for example, Stravinsky. So I think that's a really interesting point you touch on with Stravinsky, because I, I have an opinion, I think, that maybe because Hindemith's music is labelled often as kind of neoclassical in the early 20th century, his music, albeit highly complex, uh, did not have that kind of same experimental vigour as Stravinsky or Schoenberg, as you said. And he often relied on similar traditional musical values of composers such as Mozart, Haydn and Bach. So this means that his music sat in quite a grey zone in the early 20th century, which I, I think is a real shame because his music's actually really fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So what, was he part of any kind of musical school do you know of? Yes, yeah, so he was a major advocate of the Neue Sachlichkeit, which means new objectivity. This was a German modern realist movement which started in the 1920s and it combines aspects of classical styles such as Baroque models with new ideas of harmony. That's, that sounds really interesting actually and, and interesting is kind of post-war as well. Mm. So for, for October, we decided on four pieces to write about which included Symphonic Metamorphoses of themes by Karl Maria von Weber, uh, Ploner Musiktag, Trauer Music and the Trombone Sonata. We decided to split our choices and Freya chose Ploner Musiktag and the Trombone Sonata and I chose Symphonic Metamorphosis and Trauer Music. So why did you choose those pieces? Uh, so I chose the Trombone Sonata because it's the work that I've heard most widely performed and is a key part within any trombone player's repertoire. I also found the story behind playing a music tag very interesting. So it's one movement out of four movements that are written as part of a music making day. So it was written for a music programme at a boarding school in Plön, which is in Schleswig-Holstein. That's really interesting. And when I was, I'd never heard the Plön music tag before, before this project. When I was writing my blog about it, 
I, I found it really interesting that every movement was written for a different set of instruments. Mm. So we we covered the Morgan music um, opening movement, which is obviously for the morning. Um, they they did it when they were standing on the cliffside, weren't they, playing out, and it for a brass quintet. But some of the later movements are for strings and trumpets, and it's it's really interesting work, I thought. And how, have you ever played that before? Uh, the plenum music tag, yes. I'm currently playing it in a brass quartet and it's really interesting and difficult work to piece together because the harmonies are quite dissonant. It's, it's quite uh, rhythmically challenging as well, actually, isn't it? With the, the plot of music has quite a lot of fanfares in it and it, the way it's kind of structured. I, when I was listening to it, I, I thought that sounded pretty complex. And similarly with the trombone sonata as well, I just wondered, have you ever played that? Uh, yes, I also played the trombone sonata and I found it very, very difficult to fit the trombone part in with the piano part. So a lot of his, um, they're sort of almost completely independent two musical parts playing at the same time. Um, can I ask you why you chose your pieces? Yeah, sure. I mean, I chose the Symphonic Metamorphosis because it's definitely his most popular work. Everybody knows it. It's that it's kind of really lavish orchestral suite that I just was originally written for a ballet which which sadly fell through and they said that Hindemith's music was too personal whatever that may mean and so he decided to take it and create this incredible really long orchestral suite that is so highly complex in its structures in its harmonies I just uh, I really connect with it as a piece of music I, I really enjoy listening to it I think his wind and brass writing in particular it's kind of second to none mm. I, I could give or take a string music but I think his wind and brass writing is is absolutely phenomenal I'm a big fan and for the trial music, it was it was the story behind it, really. I'm a sucker for a piece of slow music, but the story behind this was really was really moving. Is King George V had died, and the next day, between it was like eleven and five, the BBC gave Hindemith a room to write this trial music in because they originally were going to premiere another work, and they said it wasn't really suitable because of the death of the king. And so they asked him to write this piece, and they gave him a studio and left him alone, and he came up with this. And when he'd finished it, he was like, well, nobody else would be able to do that. And he kind of knew exactly what he was doing. But I, I find that really interesting, that, that amount of pressure. And I mean, the piece isn't short either. It's about 11 minutes long. And in the premiere, when they recorded it and, and sent it out live on the, on the radio, he played the viola solo. But, you know, and you just think that's amazing, mm. really. I just, I, I thought, what kind of other composer has really done something like that? So that's kind of why I chose those. And also, I thought they complemented your choices because you went very brass-led and I tried to go other, basically. <laughs> as much as we are team brass, it yeah. was good to weigh it out a bit, I think. So let's talk about some translation, shall we? How did you approach translating the blogs based on the Plona Music Targ and the Trombone Sonata? Um, so I like to approach the translations as a whole. So I like to read the whole blog and get a feel for what each paragraph and each sentence, uh, the overall message of each paragraph and each sentence, and not do it word by word. That's really interesting. Do you, um, do you ever kind of speak it out loud before you translate something? Um, I often don't speak the English version out loud, but I often try and read through the German out loud because I find that when you, as you speak, you correct yourself and you realise what sounds strange and then you can improve it. And how long does it take you to do a translation? So the blogs that, that I was writing for you were about four or five hundred words. So how long would that take you to translate into German? I'd say roughly a couple of hours. It depends on the vocab. It usually takes around two hours to translate and anywhere between half an hour and an hour to correct. That's really interesting. I really appreciate you coming and doing this project with me because I think it's really interesting having a different perspective on translation. And hopefully, as this podcast is entitled, not lost in translation, but in, instead we're gaining something from the translation. And so we'll be running this project between October and March and we'll be covering a range of composers 
all chosen by you, including the likes of Hans Zimmer, Johann Strauss II and Hildegard von Bingen. And so despite them all speaking German, why did you choose these composers for this project? I chose these composers because I think they show a really broad range of styles and a really broad range of eras. And I also really, really enjoy the works by all of these composers. I, th- I think they're great choices, actually. And we really do cover, um, there's something for everyone in this project, I feel, because if you like film music, you're in luck. November is Hans Zimmer month, which I think is going to be super exciting. If you like medieval music and kind of choral stuff, then December's for you because St. Hildegard's on her way. And, and then we will be finishing with Beethoven in March for his 250th anniversary celebrations. And we'll be covering works such as the Fifth Symphony and the Ninth Symphony and some other piano concertos. And it'll be really interesting to see the kind of re- retrospectiveness of the different people that we've been looking into. So like I said, November, we'll be covering Hans Zimmer and doing soundtracks such as Lion King, Dunkirk, Pirates of the Caribbean and Gladiator. Uh, I'm really excited for this month personally. I love film music and and I'm I'm assuming you do as well because you've picked him. What's your favourite Hans Zimmer? I think my favourite Hans Zimmer soundtrack has definitely got to be Pirates of the Caribbean. The theme is brilliant and also you can just imagine being in the location when you hear his music, you feel like you're a pirate. Yeah, I, I really, I love the Pirates of Caribbean soundtrack because obviously there's, there's a bit of a mix-up sometimes between the music of Hans Zimmer and Klaus Badelt, who did the rest of the soundtrack. But the original Hans Zimmer stuff just has that kind of air about it, really piratey. I have no other word for it than piratey. I think it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I'm, I'm super excited. The Lion King blog is already out. Dunkirk is up next with a translation from you. So I'm really excited about that. And Freya will be back with me next month to talk all things Hans Zimmer and how we're going to approach writing about St. Hildegard for December's Composer of the Month blog. So thank you so much for joining me today, Freya. Thank you. And I will see you soon. I'd like to thank Freya Riding for joining me on today's show, Russ Davidson for mastering this podcast, and Ben Gaunt for composing the brand new Classical Alex Burns jingle. You've been listening to episode two of Conversations with a Musicologist. Keep up to date with the Classical Alex Burns 365 Challenge by visiting the website and remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a beat.